What is up, internets? Welcome to the Randy King Live podcast, episode 22. What is up, everyone? Thank you so much for joining me on the Randy King Live podcast, episode 22. So today we're doing another debate-based podcast with my friend, Malcolm Rivers. Uh, we'll get to Malcolm in a second. Uh, number one, I want to apologize for not having an episode out last week. Consistency is king when it comes to these things. I apologize. I did some bad math. Math is not my strong suit. I punch people for a living. I'm not the best at math. And I missed a week when I had my front load. So we're back. Uh, expect these coming out every Monday again going forward. If this is your first time coming to the show, so maybe you know you have no idea who the hell I am, but you've heard of Malcolm Rivers and all he does with the things that he does, and you're joining for him specifically, I would like to give you all the listeners a quick uh, overview on how the show works. So I mentioned this is a debate-based podcast. Some of you might have heard argument-based podcast, and those are two very, very different things. So a debate-based podcast is myself and my guest arguing our side of a topic that we have decided ahead of time, which we'll get to in a second. So the point of the show is to create conversation in the self-defense industry. As you've heard me say 30 times, or maybe your first time, people either totally agree with each other or they instantly hate each other. And there's nothing to be gained in the middle for some people. And in my experience, the gray is where everything is learned. So not the polar opposites, but in the middle is where we find the real kind of substance. So the debate format is very simple. I'm going to pigeonhole my guest onto one side of the topic. He's only going to debate his topic. He is not going to debate his personal opinion or his uh, view on this. If you want to hear those things, we are going to have those in the final thoughts, which is available on Patreon at the $5 level. The rules of the show are as follows. Number one, we start as friends, we leave as friends. The last thing I want is for this to degrade into a argument. I only invite people on that I think can handle this. Malcolm is definitely one of those people. The second thing is there are 15 logic fallacies that we don't allow on the show. If you are caught using one of these logic fallacies, you have to take a page out of Rory Miller's book, Conflict Communications, take a deep breath, say, apologize to the person across the screen, and then secede your turn. Also, you tack on a compliment. So I take a deep breath. Sorry, Malcolm, that I used a false dilemma on you there. I really enjoy the sound of your voice over the microphone. So we have to have some kind of back and forth. And then I secede my turn. And then it's Malcolm's turn to talk in this case. If you would like to know the 15 fallacies that we're using, jump over to episode one. I outline each one of the fallacies ahead of time. Malcolm got these ahead of time as well. I'm not too worried about them being breached. Listener content. We're going to be in a debate. So we aren't going to be focusing 100% on catching these. So you as the listener, this is your chance to get some free advertising. If you catch us, myself or my guest, in one of the logic fallacies, send me a clip or a message telling me what minute it occurred in the debate. If it is correct and we can't, I can't debate away that it was a logic fallacy, I will, number one, pay for my crime and push-ups. So while I'm doing those push-ups, I will promote whatever you want me to promote. So I'll promote your school, your brand, your t-shirt, your dog care line. It doesn't matter. So if you find one, feel free to take advantage of my social media platform and I can tell 8,000 people about you. So listen carefully. If we hit something, it's very important. We've only had one of these happen. And Paul Donnelly in Halifax, he's the first one to get the, uh, the shout out. So I'm going to give him one more time. Now, I'm done talking for a couple seconds. Malcolm, why don't you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself? Hey guys, I'm Malcolm Rivers and I am one of the four directors of Chiron Training. Um, we, uh, Paul, ah, excuse me. Um, 
Randy mentioned Rory earlier. Rory is uh, the guy who founded Chiron Training and with Tammy Yard McCracken and pa- Paul DiRienzo. I always mispronounce his name. Yeah, anyway, me too. Me too. Um, we formed the Voltron that is Chiron Training. Uh, we do a <laughs> lot of uh, cool seminars. We've got some online content. also work with a company called Nova Self-Defense. Uh, we do seminars in the D.C. and Northern Virginia area. And other than that, um, I help people be better in a school context, and I enjoy cooking and walking on the beach. Oh, that's very nice. I like the walking on the beach part. That's like barefoot or with sandals. What's your? Oh, preference? with sandals, dude. Fuck sandals. Okay. <laughs> like straight up, dude. How dare you ask me bare no, feet? There's, there's, there, there is no sand that I. Have. Anyway. Um, awesome. But yeah. Go ahead. I'm really excited because I have Paul on this week, so I'll have the whole all of Voltron will be on this show by the end of uh, by the end of the month. So that's pretty. Form blazing sword. <laughs> I love to use Voltron as a reference as well. That's sweet. So the the way it works, uh, listeners, again, if it's your first time listening, is we do a twenty minute debate. We are going to decide the topic. The topic was decided ahead of time. What Malcolm and I will be debating is should hostile intent be used in training. So just kind of walk that out. We had this back and forth on what we wanted to discuss. And the first pitch on this for me was should emotions be included in training? And then it was pitched back for Malcolm to make it this more succinct topic. So the argument or the debate, not the argument, the debate is should hostile intent be used in training? Malcolm, what side of this debate are you taking? I am taking the negative side. I am asserting that hostile intent should not be used in self-defense training for this particular debate. Awesome. I love that you phrased it very, very well. You've done this before. Um, so normally I take the devil's advocate on this one, but if you've met Malcolm, he's a sharp guy. So I actually got to pick my side on this and I'm really confident, but I want there to be like just full transparency that I'm not taking devil's advocate. I got to choose my side on this because it loads me up a little bit better for this debate. So we are going to start the clock. How it works, Malcolm, you get to uh, do an opening statement up mm-hmm. to up to four minutes. Mm-hmm. After that, I'll do a counterpoint. Then we'll go back and forth looking for logic fallacies. Once we hit the 20-minute clock, if our topic is over or we've already hit a closing statement, we'll move on. If not, we will continue debating. Make sense? Uh, yep. All right, Malcolm, get ready. Starting now, you have your four-minute opening statement. So if we examine the premises, premises of self-defense, one of the foundational ones is people who feel for whatever reason, they are unprepared to defend themselves from danger physically, are going to enter an environment that is physically and emotionally safe to begin with and prepare themselves for that danger. As a result, hostile intent is not necessary and in some cases can be counterproductive. There are a couple of reasons for this. Reason number one, harkens back to what I just said. If people are just arriving and they're not used to doing something that is potentially scary because they're preparing for physical violence, they are going to need as many scaffolds as possible to help them get from point A of uh, unconscious incompetence, or, or I guess if, if they show up at the door, they're, they're consciously incompetent, to the theoretical endpoint, which is unconscious competence. They don't even have to think about it anymore. They just focus on the rest of their lives. Now, with that said, hostile energy on a psychological basis is is a little bit intimidating. So it drives people away. It keeps them from fully participating. And unfortunately, 
because people are not always as mature as they can be, it leads to a couple of problems in training. There are maybe three of these. Number one is a safety issue. If I become psychologically hostile toward the person that I'm training with, the idea of injuring them seems a lot more accessible. I am not concerned as much about their safety anymore because I might lose track of what I'm really supposed to be doing here, which is preparing a person I care about for a dangerous circumstance. Reason number two is because in the midst of my hostile intent, I might actually take away more stress and more frustration and bigger psychological problems back into the rest of my life, which means that I am training for the rare event of physical violence, unless people have specific criteria, is relatively, relatively safe out in the world for them. So I'm training for something rare by doing danger, dangerous things that damage something that's much more common, like my interaction with people on a, a friendly basis. And then finally, because when you do have people who are trained enough to deal with psychologically challenging or, or, or hostile psychological intent in a, a self-defense context in the, in the midst of a class, in many cases, you, it leads to awkwardness and damaged relationships because true hostility is going to produce someone trying to press certain buttons a lot of the time, right? So if I'm training with someone who identifies as female, there may be some epithets, there may be some references because I'm genuinely psychologically hostile towards them and I don't want to let that creep in at all because that violates the, the principles of safety that we are trying to establish so that it's a place where people can come get stronger without being bullied. So I think we don't need, or don't always need, uh, genuine hostility because it creates more problems, arguably, than it solves. Awesome. Great opening statement. It's kind of funny to me to pause this as I do this for the debate, but uh, I'm not buying time. I actually have something to say. I just did scenario training for violence dynamics and actually doing the emotional part was, or the, the emotional part was super icky for me. I had to have like a debrief on that. It was pretty fun. Fun, quote unquote. So anyways, back to the topic at hand. So I'm taking the opposite side of this. So uh, I do believe that emotional, um, or how do I put this? Hostile intent should be included in a self-defense training setting. Now, I'm going to play the definition game, so feel free to uh, stall me on this if it's not okay. Self-defense self -defense to me is a wall-to-wall, date-to-date type of situation, and then if you want more training in that, that becomes martial arts. Mm -hmm. So if you're training for somebody for self-defense, somebody in a context that they just wish to be like first aiders, they don't want to become surgeons, mm -hmm. you need to give them the totality of the situation, especially if you only have them for X amount of time. In the totality of the situation, and one of the biggest glitches I see in a lot of training programs is they don't touch the icky stuff. They don't touch the emotional aspect. Mm -hmm. And when it comes down to the psychology of defending yourself, you need to inoculate yourself to both the physical stressors, the verbal stressors, and the emotional stressors when it comes to this situation. Mm -hmm. If there's no inoculation to emotional stressors, then the other two, the verbal barriers and the physical barriers, they fall apart instantaneously. If I can supersede your psychology and your emotion, it tends to beat the other defensive structures that are there. Mm -hmm. Also, when you're working with emotional content, it is much harder to go through the motions of emotional content in the totality of the situation than it is to go through the motions of physicality. Mm -hmm. So 
there are people that take self-defense classes that are just take it to make their partner happy, their parents happy, their whatever. So when it comes down to adding the emotional content, I think it is, in most cases, very important to layer it. Now, I want to address some of the great points that you made, which was this can go toxic uber fast. So when we are doing the emotional content, it needs to be done by, uh, especially with the hostile intent specifically, it -hmm. needs to be done in a very uniformed, very step-by-step model process where it starts and ends and does not continue after the drill is done. And this is where people mess up, including myself. I'll tell that story on Patreon. So uh, on my side of this debate, I totally, uh, my side is, I think there should be emotional content. And again, because you can kick and punch a bag all day, but if I drop a, a, a derogatory or pejorative term at you and that shuts you down, then I haven't really taught you self-defense. Mm-hmm. Malcolm. Okay. You make some good points and I think we should define the context a little yes. bit. Yes. Yep. Uh, because we both primarily, as far as I can tell, at this stage, teach seminars. So we're teaching people that we don't necessarily have a reason to believe in many, if not most cases, we'll ever see again. So I've got X amount of time with you. The challenge is this. When you're teaching on a routine basis, when it's brick and mortar, you don't want to drive people away. The the other thing is, though, that in many cases, you're trying not to drive people away, even who don't want to be first responders or surgeons who just want to be first aiders. And making it, ex- the, the balance seems to be between making it accessible and making it functional. In most cases, I would argue that the introduction of hostile intent requires so much, uh, so much front loading, so, so many built up structures, so much foundation setting that there's no way to do it in three hours with people you've just met. And so as a result, that hostile intent, though sincerely applied on the basis of trying to solve the problem, would be the equivalent of teaching a kid to swim in a violent storm and saying, hey, listen, it'll be fine. Now, it's not necessarily that the, the actual demonstrations of hostile intent are going to be so significant that they're, they're going to overwhelm people. It's more that it's going to make them much less likely to be interested in not just participating in that individual class, but in pursuing it further. So if we do this wrong, if this is not well applied, we haven't just limited their ability to defend themselves in the immediate sense, we've actually made it more likely that they are not going to try to get stronger elsewhere because that bad experience is likely to stick in their mind and they're gonna say, this entire field isn't for me. Sure. Additionally, self-defense arguably is uh, is a combination of physical and emotional engineering. In order for us to emotionally engineer effectively, we need the smiles, the giggles, the laughs, the happiness, all the positive, sweating, smiling type stuff that people talk about when they're teaching. And when genuine hostile intent is present, even at relatively low levels, with a group of strangers, many of whom never met each other before and never met the presenter before, the awkwardness is going to seep in because we are so profoundly conditioned to get along that as soon as someone doesn't complete a handshake or greet us back, there are people who will think about that for the rest of the day, understandably, because that's abnormal for them. And so if I introduce hostile intent and I, don't, I haven't had the chance to set my foundation 
and I'm trying to emotionally engineer a positive uh, connection between defending yourself and good feelings, um, I'm going to have a lot more trouble doing that. It doesn't mean it's impossible. It just means that I'll have a lot more trouble. And then finally, the problems of limiting uh, hostile intent. Ultimately, if we're talking about in the context of a, of a, of a seminar where we're never going to see these people again, they've never met us before, they've never met each other before, limiting hostile intent among the students and saying, hey, ramp it up or ramp it down is going to be a, 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 a minefield, potentially. Because what's going to happen is I have no idea what this person's triggers are. You actually told a story where you went somewhere and you accidentally triggered somebody not realizing and you and you like did a whole debrief on it. And so if we were to do that in a context where the students don't really know each other and we say, hey, give them some hostile intent, but not too much. If I was, you know, getting beat with telephone cords and rebar as a kid, I'm if I was getting beat with rebar, I probably died. But whatever. If I'm getting beat with telephone cords and like two by fours as a child, mm -hmm. my idea of what is reasonable hostile intent is is going to be here mm -hmm. versus somebody else's, which might be here. Sure. And that's before we get into demographic differences and you know other potential triggers. So I, I think it's it's a very dangerous proposition for keeping people keeping people interested, uh, keeping people getting something functional out of it specifically in the context of seminars. Sure. So uh, so we're jumping to the context of seminars, so I'll accept that premise now that we only have potentially three to six hours. I was definitely talking, because uh, I also do brick and mortar, right? So I was That's definitely true. on that. But we could definitely talk seminar. So I will secede that, but you, a lot of what you're saying is prefaced off of the model for the emotional training being bad. And we can't assume that it's going to be bad but you are assuming in a lot of your statements that it's going to be bad. So we need to take that off the table and okay. assume that it's good emotional training. Does that make sense? Agreed. Okay. We'll, let's assume it's good emotional training. Now is, sure. it, is my turn to respond or you have further? I saw just one, a couple more things. Yeah, go ahead, go ahead. So then if we're talking on the seminar premise, yeah. then we would have to make the seminar all that. So if they're coming for specific things, they would have to have a front loaded I expectation of what they're walking into, mm -hmm. i.e. when we're doing scenario training, right? So when we do scenario training, I say we, because we do it the same way. We were trained right. by the same person. So uh, uh, we we put on a little bit of theater when we do the safety brief. Of course. So people understand that if this is serious, this isn't, uh, this isn't the, the yeah. proper business. When I did the environmental fighting talk in D.C., one of the clients actually had an emotional breakdown because they'd never seen me that serious before. They're like, are we going to die? Randy's never like that. So it, interesting. It was interesting. It was. Um, so I think then going on to what you said is that people are trained to get along. And I agree with that, which is kind of the problem, right? So when predators come and take advantage of that, if my self-defense program doesn't address that people are trained to get along and bad guys will take advantage of that, we're doing a slight disservice. Malcolm. All of those things are true, and you're right. I am assuming momentarily that this is not good emotional training. Here's why. <laughs> doing good emotional training yeah. with as many variables come into play when you're dealing with strangers is extremely difficult just because of the variety of potential histories, traumas, personality quirks, yeah. reactions, etc. Now, even if we take it to brick and mortar, let's take it to brick and mortar for a second. If I think both of us would probably agree that at a foundational level, 
the emotional attacks are a huge part of what makes any of the physical stuff work. If I can scare you into not fighting and then hit you, it's much, much, much more powerful. Yes. The challenge is that predators being professional people readers are so, 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 so good at that, that on a certain level, it might be better just to build up your strength than it would be to try to introduce what predators use because predators are extremely good at this and have no reason to pull punches. And so we would never, outside of us creating a truly transcendent environment, we'd never get to the point where I could like research Randy's past yeah. and like in the midst of a class, bring up something that's designed to distract him, do it with like genuine intent, have him glitch and then hit him. Like that would, there'd be no way to build up towards that. And sure. so you can make an argument that even in a brick and mortar setting, if we have to balance the risk reward ratios, there is a higher risk than reward to adding hostile intent because the other, the other element of it, aside from the fact that there's just a lot of variables and will drive people away, is how many regular students spend huge amounts of time regulating their hostile intent? How many people really walk around? Because it seems like we're, we're in a day and age where you could argue you're not even allowed to get mad. You, yeah, can't even, sure. you can't even demonstrate anger without people being very concerned and you know, so on and so forth. So if I have almost no practice at this, all I know is stuff it down. And you're saying, hey, kind of bring it up, but stuff it back down. But bring it back up and stuff it back down. That is gonna be very challenging. And if I am a six foot three, 230 pound man, I don't want to find out how bad I am at regulating my hostile intent when I'm working with my five foot two partner, because <laughs> I, that is, that's a place in which that could, that could psychologically or physically uh, damage her safety, maybe. <laughs> now granted, you're right, we're, we are assuming that this is bad only because it's so hard to do it well. Yeah, so and I agree with that, but let's look at, just look at the sheer numbers of this. Yeah. Uh, and I think you'll agree with me, Arguably, physical attacks are not the only attack that exists. Indeed. And most likely, they are probably better off learning, going to an assertiveness course than they are to actually take physical training. Fair enough. So if the lion's share of this stuff is is grooming and is victim selection and mm -hmm. is, then we need to give them that trigger to bring it up. And I have a note that we'll talk about on Patreon because I really want to pick your brain on it. <laughs> I'm like, oh, this might be something big. Uh, so Patreon suckers. Uh, but makes when we're doing this, I want, we have to understand like, too many self-defense gyms are the skull logo. I'd rather be judged by 12 than carried by six garbage out there, right? So that's just not how the attacks are happening in most of the places that do this. And my current joke is if you can afford my class, you probably don't need my class. So those people, what they're going to get victimized is they're going to be on the emotional end of the violent spectrum, probably more highly than the physical end. So and again, I use the word inoculation, but giving them a structure, giving them walls, giving them drills to let that animal out to, to scale up and scale down and give them a healthy way to regulate that mm -hmm. might be more beneficial than all the kios and all the turning kicks on the planet, to be honest. Sure. No, <laughs> you're, you're right. Uh, I would much rather the people learn how to assert themselves than learn how to punch a face because mm -hmm. if you can't assert yourself, punching a face is almost not in the realm of possibilities, right? Exactly. If I yeah. can't tell you to shut up, yeah, hitting right. you hard is yeah. probably not going to be like a, <laughs> something I'm gonna get too easily. Correct. With that said, let's think about the average ratio 
average is rough. But let's think about some commonly seen ratios between uh, instructors and students, whether brick and, brick and mortar or seminar. Sure. I would say it's probably in many cases 12 to 1, maybe somewhere between 12 and 20 to 1, right? And, and would you agree that's a, like a reasonable guesstimate for, and we're talking open enrollment classes, nothing specific. So I'm sorry, 12, I don't understand what the ratio is, 12 to 1. Okay, one. the ratio of students to instructors. Oh yeah, okay, sure, yeah, that's, that, that's okay. about fair, okay. Yeah. yeah, so 12 to 1, between 12 and 20 to 1. Mm-hmm. I would argue that in that, with that framework, it is very hard to notice all of the glitches that are going on in the midst of a three-hour seminar or over the course of weeks. Over the course of weeks, it'll be easier, but in a three-hour seminar, it's going to be very hard for me to notice that Jarvis just like something just clicked in his brain and he just accessed some crazy memory as somebody managed to poke a a nerve that he had built up so much armor around. But because I told him this was an emotionally safe environment, he comes in here, he trusts me, he drops his guard, somebody hits him somewhere he didn't expect to be hit. Now, can that be used for a positive positive gain? Absolutely. It could be argued that that's how you grow is somebody mm-hmm. hits a nerve you didn't know was there and you power through it. Problem is, with a ratio of somewhere between 12 and 20 to 1, I might not even see it. Yeah. And, if, and if the person is skilled at building walls, they're probably skilled at hiding reactions. So I'm going to have to be psychic to put together that this thing just happened at all, much less identify what thing went on. And he might not even pick up on it on a conscious level. Sure. Subconsciously, something might happen. Now, I don't want to be dramatic with the potential outcomes, mm-hmm. but I think, and, and tell me if I'm wrong, please, but we sure. both know people who've been tweaked by something and been sent into a spiral. Yeah. And when you finally get back to what it really was, it was mm-hmm. like, oh, this thing reminded me of blah. And yeah. then I started thinking about blah. And then I overreacted to thinking about blah. And blah, blah, blah. Now, with that said, that doesn't necessarily mean that this person is going to like, you know, spiral into addiction because they somebody sure. did something to them in a class. Right. But it might make them not feel comfortable with training anymore. It mm-hmm. might cause them to. So it also might cause them to overreact the next time they're in training. Sure. So if I can't, if I'm not emotionally healthy enough to put together, oh, this person's just doing this for my own good, and this has nothing to do with nothing. Or if I don't even really realize it happened, I might be training with that same partner again two months later, yep. not consciously remember it and be in a position where I'm, you know, doing my magic arm bar and <laughs> suddenly I remember that and I'm like, oh yeah, subconsciously, well, let's see if we can, uh, if we can right. make someone no longer able to punch. So potential for danger, and, and I guess this is the core of my argument, sure. risk reward ratio, yep. risk is too high to validate the reward. Got it. So the time is up, but I'm going to say one more thing because I have yep. one good point that I want to make, yep. uh, which is... You can't know that with anything ever. So if you go over the commonalities of common triggers and you tell them that this is normal, that is super powerful. So if the person suffers in silence because we don't talk about it, that's going to make them stop. But if we say these are common triggers, this is what you're going to experience, then they're going to bring it to you and that will help heal them as opposed to ostracize them. Very true. Awesome. All right, cool. So that is a fortune. Yeah, we'll talk again. Otherwise, we'll do this forever. And yeah, I love it. it. This is so this would fun. Take, this would take way too long. Awesome. So, Malcolm, <laughs> did you have fun? Was that good? Absolutely. It was great. We, we came as friends. We yes. Were.
Exactly. So, Malcolm, uh, so that's the end of the free debate, everybody. If you want more, because me and Malcolm are going to be chatting more, because I have a, like a page of notes that I want to talk about, <laughs> uh, we'll be doing the Patreon. So on the Patreon, if you haven't heard it before, we go over kind of our ex- initial thoughts. Me and Malcolm, I'm sure, agree way more than we disagree. We just yeah. were forced to disagree for the format of this presentation. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're also going to do a segment called On the Ropes. So I'm going to ask Malcolm if at one point in time he felt like I said something he didn't expect. He was like, God damn, and he got to switch it over. Um, I have a list of those already here. So this was really fun. Malcolm, why don't you tell the people where they can find you? Okay, so um, if you go to NovaSelfDefense.com, that is where we do um, our local training in the D.C. and Northern Virginia areas. Uh, we'd love to come out to your business, your uh, Girl Scout troop, all jokes aside, seriously. Uh, we do a lot of college prep and other types of seminars. Uh, primarily, uh, we at the at Chiron Training. It sounds so fancy. Um, head over to ChironTraining.com. We've got a Patreon right now where uh, we've got all four of us contributing. Um, we have a, a patrons group on Facebook where we're having super cool conversations. Uh, Paul and I, uh, Paul DiRienzo of Metro West uh, Jiu-Jitsu Academy over near Boston, are having our first ambushes and thugs training the weekend before Thanksgiving. I believe that's the 23rd and the 24th. And we are going to be covering a lot of the ambushes and thugs core content, but from some very different angles and in some very different ways. We're really excited about what we're putting together. And I've got a blog up that I am revamping. So I'm going to send Randy the link at some point and he'll put it somewhere, I hope. Sure will. Of course I will. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, we're doing some really cool stuff. So check out Nova Self-Defense or uh, Rory Miller's Chiron Training and we will catch up with you. Awesome. So again, we're jumping to the final thoughts. I just want everybody to understand that when he said Thanksgiving, he meant the U.S.'s version of that. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Which is November, Sorry. That's okay. November 23rd and 24th of this upcoming month. So this November 2019 is coming up. This is one of the only episodes I recorded, and it's happening. So I just wanted people to be like, is it October in Canada? What is Thanksgiving? So <laughs> understand it's November 23rd, 24th, if you're in the area. Awesome. So we're going to jump over to final thoughts. Malcolm, thank you so much for this debate. This was super fun. I had a great time. Likewise.